Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. If I should turn your Bible to Matthew 13, to continue this series on the teachings of Jesus and the important chapter 13 focusing on the parables. In our text tonight, we see Jesus continuing on lessons about the kingdom of God and continuing to use earthy images, once again a sower and seed, that represent two types of people. Last week, you'll recall how Jesus presented different kinds of soils that are representative of our hearts and the manner in which they receive the word of truth. In our text tonight, we're encountered with a common soil, but two kinds of seeds that help us to, as believers to understand and to persevere in a very fallen world as we wait patiently for the day of harvest in God's good timing. Please follow as I read Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds he root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. They gather the wheat into my barn. And then down, beginning in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, we would ask that you might give us ears to hear as we consider the teachings of your word. Guide us and help us and give us wisdom and insight as we consider this text together. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We live in a binary world. A battery has a positive and a negative pole. A light switch is either turned on or off. You're either alive or you're dead. A woman is either expecting or she is not. You are male or female, contrary to what some might say today. The kingdom of God is binary. There are two types of people in the world, believers and unbelievers, the righteous and the unrighteous, the wheat and the weeds. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Unbelievers can masquerade like unbelievers, like believers, even fooling the mature and the most seasoned saints among us. But God knows the heart. Sometimes believers can act and go astray like unbelievers falling into grievous sins. But the Lord knows who are his and knows how to claim them back. The weeds may assume positions of power and influence and even cultivate the confidence of the wheat leading them into harm's way. Jesus gives us a parable to give us perspective as we persevere long in an evil age and await his triumphant return. He's like the patient farmer who stays the hand of his servants and calls us likewise to be patient, to trust his judgment, to be await the day when he will separate the wheat from the chaff on that great and dreadful day of the Lord. The sower aims to give each of us a heart of wisdom, to know the world, to be patient in affliction, and to trust the Lord's judgments. Christian worldview apologetics teaches us who made the world, how we came to be here, where we came from, why we are here, what happens to us after death, and other very important questions about the human experience. But those of us who are in Christ have an advantage over the people of the world who grope about in the dark, trying to figure out life's meaning and purpose, and yet have rejected the author of life who plainly tells us in his word. Now, our parable presents to us a few basic facts about the world. There is a creator. He is like a wealthy farmer who sows good seed in his field and desires to see it grow and bear fruit and reap a bountiful harvest. The maker has servants to tend his field, which here represents the entire world. We're also told here that there is an enemy in the world. He is diabolically opposed to the world's creator, bent on its destruction. The Bible calls him the accuser, the father of lies. He corrupts good things, he ruins trust, he deceives people from the truth. He is wicked and works under the cover of darkness. In my college years, I served as a swim coach for a summer league swim team in my neighborhood pool. 
And one Saturday morning, we came, to, came for a meet only to find that there had been trash and filth thrown into the pool and all around the grounds delaying the start of the swim meet. From then point on, we hired a friend of mine to spend the night at the pool the day before the meet in order to fend off evildoers who might pollute the pool and tear up the property. Sometimes the weeds of the world corrupt and vandalize good things in the likeness of their father, the devil. But other times, the weeds blend in with the wheat, hardly distinguishable as they live quiet lives of culpable unbelief. The Bible tells us that our first parents once lived in paradise until they disobeyed and brought curse upon this world. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Thorns and thistles have grown up to frustrate the work of man. We live in a world of weeds. The Bible distinguishes between the righteous Abel and the unrighteous Cain and goes on to contrast the godly line of Seth from the sons of wrath. And throughout the Bible and throughout history, wicked men have persecuted God's people, seeking to deceive them, to present themselves as wolves in sheep's clothing, perverting the way with cults, and crucify the Lord of glory. This parable reminds us that Evil is real in this world. And as God's people, we are not to be naive. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter, do not love the world or the things in the world. And yet in his gospel, John says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we may not perish but have eternal life. God can love the world and not be corrupted by it. We must be more careful as we are prone to wander to be seduced and molded by worldly attitudes that are at odds with the priorities of our Lord. This past week, Pastor Walker and I received an email from a woman who claimed that she and her partner were interested in our church and wanted to know whether we were a gay-affirming church. It was not lost on us that it's Gay Pride Month. We don't know whether this was a legitimate request or something from the broader community. But it challenges us to think about what kind of church we are. We are a church that welcomes anyone and everyone to come and worship. We would never turn away anybody who wants to come and seek the face of the Lord our God. I'm a strong advocate for our building expansion project so we can make room for more people here. But becoming a part of our community has conditions. We do not affirm the things that God does not affirm. We believe in holding people accountable to the things that God would have us uphold as his righteous standards. We will not compromise with the world and make our messages palatable to people who may be offended by the Bible's difficult teachings that may not be aligned with the world's priorities. Perhaps you've noticed a billboard on Route 30 the last several weeks that says love is love. We're reminded from God's word that God is love. And his word teaches that sin 
is sin. And God's judgments are just and true. Well, the landowners, the landowner's servants, cannot understand where these weeds have come from in his field. And they soon learn that an enemy has planted the seed. And so they propose that they pull the weeds out. Their zeal for the purity of the wheat is commendable. They're willing to spend hours in painstaking detail to pull out the weeds that don't belong among the good seed sowed by the sower. But the master says, no. Lest in gathering up the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Scholars think that the weed Jesus has in mind was darnel, a weedy rye grass with poisonous black seeds that resembles wheat early in its growth, but goes on to distinguish itself at the point of maturity. Pulling up the weeds won't work because their roots are intertwined with the roots of the wheat and will destroy them. No, they must wait for the harvest. Likewise, the lives of believers are intertwined with the lives of unbelievers. We have neighbors, people in our schools, in our workplaces, even in our own families. And that's a good thing. Because Jesus calls us to be salt and light where we live and work and serve. And unbelievers have a place as they contribute much to society. And we trust that God is sovereign in the where he places all men and women in their times and places. But for the purposes of this parable, Jesus would teach us to be patient. As the master holds back his servants until the day of harvest arrives, so he calls us to be patient, to wait on him for the day of judgment, to learn to live with much that grieves us in this fallen and broken world. We're called to care for our fields, to nurture our wheat and recognize that there will be weeds until the day of Christ's return. We're not to remove them, but rather be a witness unto them to encourage fellow believers. Let's take a lesson from my lawn. I aim to be vigilant with my yard, to keep out the weeds. I water, I fertilize, I apply weed control, I pull up the dead grass and replant fresh seed. We've learned that the best defense against weeds in your lawn is by preserving thick and healthy grass that leaves little room for the weeds to grow up in between them. Using something like Roundup that kills weeds and grass is a bad idea, which I learned the hard way a few years ago when I destroyed perhaps one-fourth of my lawn misreading a label on the product. It took me several years to regrow that grass, and only in the last year or so is it back to a place of health. And it required patience. It required allowing the green grass to grow, to tend it season after season, to minimize the weed growth and to maximize the growth of healthy green grass. The Lord would have us be faithful 
tending our own territory to feed and water our own hearts and the hearts of those God has entrusted to us with God's word. To stay together as a community, to leave little room for the sowing of misdeeds and mistrust and doubts and fears. When we see weeds growing up amongst us to address them and don't let them get established. You recall the occasion when James and John wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven in the manner of Elijah and Elisha to scorch the wicked and the unbeliever. We may be tempted sometimes by the same impulse in our own evil day, but God calls us to be patient to endure, to live with perspective, to take refuge in him, to trust that he indeed is working out all things for our good and his glory. But patience does not mean silence. It does not mean we are called to stand by, to let the weeds poison the minds of others with false doctrines. And we live in a day when the weeds have gotten quite bold. They do their deeds in the broad daylight, no longer under the cover of darkness. It's a time in which the wheat might take their stand. To take up courage to call out the wrongs. To do what Scripture says, to overcome evil with good. To speak the truth in love. To give an answer for the hope that we have. To live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of wrongdoing, they may see our good deeds and glorify God in the day of his visitation. So thirdly, the Lord calls us to trust the Lord's judgment. The master tells his servants to let the wheat and the weeds grow together until the harvest. When he will send out the reapers to gather in the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and gather in the wheat into his barn. As Jesus is explaining this parable, notice that half of it's devoted to this end future time. All of human history points to this great day of harvesting. The Son of Man will send out his angels and reapers and gather out of the kingdom. Those things that cause sin, the lawbreakers, and cast them into the fiery furnace which represents eternal hell. Hell is not the invention of vindictive men or corrupt leaders who desire to manipulate their followers and their behaviors. It is the clear teaching of Scripture and a subject that Jesus addresses more than any other. We may not like the teaching of hell or eternal punishment. It may make us uncomfortable to stand with this teaching in our age of tolerance that is so adamantly opposed to this teaching of the Lord Jesus, one of which many preachers dismiss or ignore altogether. We don't like to think of our loved ones and those we care.
care about having that prospect of spending an eternity apart from Christ in a place of misery where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell indeed is a dreadful place of eternal regrets and sorrows. But we need to hear this for at least three reasons. First, God is glorified in the doctrine of eternal punishment. Hell vindicates God's holiness. His righteousness is satisfied with the punishment of the wicked. The Bible is clear about this from cover to cover. God cannot allow or permit sin in his presence. And there are only two options. There are only two ways that God can deal with sin, that our sins can be removed from us. One is by the way of the cross, by which the Lord Jesus pays the penalty for you and I to be spared the punishment we deserve. But for those who do not take refuge in the Lord Jesus, who insist on going their own way, they must bear the penalty themselves, meriting the unmitigated wrath of God forever. We must not minimize the teachings on hell, because that does not honor God, is not helpful to other sinners. Nor does teaching that God annihilates the condemned versus the teaching of Scripture that they will be punished forever. That is contrary to Scripture and denies God's holiness and demonstrates that we side with man, empathizing with man's plight rather than upholding zeal for God's honor and glory. Secondly, eternal punishment comforts believers in their afflictions that God is just, and that his and our enemies receive their just deserts. God's people throughout history have suffered at the hands of the wicked. Believers in our country have enjoyed a rare and lengthy period of peace and relief from the persecution that is all too common throughout church history and throughout the world today. We should be grateful for that. But be reminded that the enemies of the cross are vicious with those who follow the Lord Jesus faithfully in many parts of the world. People who do not believe in God or reject biblical Christianity have no real answer to the problem of evil. Without it, men commit atrocities like the Holocaust and die without consequence. But the Bible teaches that there are consequences to our deeds. According to Scripture, evildoers do not get away with it, even when they escape justice in this life. Asaph writes in Psalm 73 about how he envied the arrogant and when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Asaph was tempted to think that it was in vain that he kept his heart clean and had washed his hands in innocence. And his pity party continues in Psalm 73. And so Asaph goes into the sanctuary of God and he discerns the final end of the wicked. 
when God makes him fall into ruin and swept away by terrors. We too can become like Asaph. Confused, hurt, frustrated, overwhelmed by evil in this world. Like Asaph, we can become brutish and beast-like. But we need our hearts renewed and restored by the hope of Jesus Christ. Or we can testify with him, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thirdly, we need a clear teaching on eternal punishment. Because it moves us, it motivates us as God's people to be vigilant to warn others to flee from the coming wrath, to take up their refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is no hell, if there is no punishment for unbelief, there is no urgency to Jesus' mission. And Jesus clearly had a spirit of urgency in the mission he gave his followers. Why make such sacrifices? Why take up such great labors to make Christ known where he is not known? Why raise up funds to send people to uproot them from the comforts of home, to go live among the unreached, if nothing really happens after the great harvest? Yes, we look forward to a great ingathering of those saved for heaven and saved from hell. Time is short. Hell is real. And Jesus says, go. Jesus' teaching in this parable is hard. It's among the most vivid in all of his teaching regarding the judgment to come. But it ends on a note of hope. It promises here that great day when the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. We will be light and not dark. We will have hope and not despair. We will enjoy God's acceptance and not rejection. We will no longer be orphans in this world, but children in the house of the living God. The kingdom of this world will come to an end and be replaced by the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will right every wrong, wipe away every tear, heal every disease, reward the righteous for their faith and their commitment to his glory and honor. Last weekend, nine other dads and myself took about 23 of our elementary school boys to Camp Hebron, for an evening of camp out and hiking. It was the first time in years we have gone to Camp Hebron and the first time for about 10 of our refugee boys to experience the great outdoors and a campfire and s'mores. Being surrounded by trees, one of the fathers gave a devotional from Psalm 1, a very binary psalm that contrasts the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. The wicked are like plants that lack roots, without water, like the chaff of the wind blows away. In contrast, the righteous 
are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. After the devotional, I gave my testimony and compared my conversion story to a great fallen tree that almost killed a neighbor of mine years ago. We found that this great tree, looking healthy on the outside, was hollow, rotten to the core on the inside, an accident waiting to happen by a strong gust of wind. And so it was as the Lord changed my heart and transformed me from a weed to a kernel of wheat. The roaring campfire last Friday night gave the men and boys there both warning and blessing. A warning not to get too close and get burned or to ruin the food you thought to eat, which a few boys experienced. But also the blessing of warmth in the fellowship and the gathering of community around a fire in God's people. There are two paths, two seeds, two kinds of people, but one way to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe upon him. Repent. Make him your hope for this life and the life to come. Let this parable make you wise to know the world, to be patient in affliction, to trust the Lord's ways and judgments. And may we look forward to the coming kingdom when we will gather it up with the harvest to dwell with God and shine like the sun in the house of our God and Father forever and ever. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we are grateful for your word, for its penetrating power and truth, for its vivid clarity on what is true and right. And we pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom, a heart of understanding, of boldness and compassion, a manner which we may walk in your ways and be testimonies of your truth and righteousness. Go with us this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry the Westminster Pulpit.